Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 490 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, and how to succeed as an author or writer. I have a treat for you today. We have double the fun. You'll discover what that means very soon. But in the meantime, here is our writing tip for this week. We have a new blog post on the Australian Writers' Centre website this week called How to Edit Your Own Writing. Seven authors share their top tips. And in it, Alison shares tips from published authors like Sue Whiting, Paul Dalgano and Lauren Chater. Editing your own work is a crucial part of getting your manuscript just right. And I think a lot of people think that they can write a first draft and then send it to an editor to fix it up. Ah, But that's really not how it works at all. You have to edit your own work first. You really do. You know, to fix up the plot holes and change scenes around and cut scenes and maybe even rewrite whole sections. If you just send it off to somebody else after your first draft, they can't read your mind and they don't know what your plan was for certain characters or plot points or whatever. So anyway, self-editing is literally one of the most important skills that an author can have. So Alison's approach to editing her first draft is to start slow. She recommends that the first thing you do is read through the whole thing out loud, making notes as you go. Secondly, do the easy stuff first. So, you know, that's like fixing things like when a character's eye colour changes halfway through or remove any boring bits that you know are boring, be honest with yourself, and that don't actually contribute to the story. The advice from the other writers moves on to some of the harder stuff, like Sue Whiting, fantastic author, recommends summarizing your story to to help keep you on track. She says, take some time to know what your story is about at its core and write a one-sentence nutshell statement that sums this up. Tape this above your computer and refer to it often. This will help you stay focused and avoid your plot meandering into the wilderness. Author Veronica Lando, who is, her latest book is fantastic, well, her debut novel, it's fantastic, and she is one of our graduates here at the Australian Writers' Centre. She says that you need to keep your protagonist active. So, as you're editing, keep an eye out for scenes where your main character is overhearing conversations or where they take a back seat to the action. You need to change it so that they are moving the action instead of just watching it. That's so important, right? You can read the rest of the tips on our blog, which I'll put in the show notes. And if you've completed a first draft and you're ready to start editing, well, there are two courses that might help you. The first, if you want to do it yourself, because you're, you know, that's how you roll, is the self-paced course Cut, Shape, Polish which is a step-by-step, and it's literally step-by-step process to make your story the best it can be. It's a fantastic course. And for graduates of our Write Your Novel program who are keen to keep on workshopping their manuscript, uh, we have our Edit Your Novel course. So rather than working at your own pace, you'll join other writers and an expert tutor if you want that community and work through your first drafts together over six months. So to find out more about Cut Shape Polish, go to writerscentercomau slash polish. And the Edit Your Novel program only runs a few times a year. So make sure you're signed up to the newsletter to find out 
when it's next on. Now let's move on to our competition this week. We have three copies of Lying Beside You by Michael Robotham, fantastic author of course. 20 years ago, Cyrus Haven's family was murdered. Only he and his brother survived. Cyrus, because he hid. Elias, because he was the killer. Now Elias is being released from a secure psychiatric hospital and Cyrus, a forensic psychologist, must decide if he can forgive the man who destroyed his childhood. As he prepares for the homecoming, Cyrus is called to a crime scene in Nottingham. A man is dead and his daughter, Maya, is missing. Then a second woman is abducted. Both missing women have dark secrets that Cyrus must unravel to find them. So we have three copies to give away. Entries close on the 18th of July. You just need to go to writercentercomau slash win. And if you go there sometime in the future, don't worry, there'll be some other uh, fantastic book for you to win or some other competition for you to enter. So that's writercentercomau slash win for Lying Beside You by Michael Robotham. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? I hope you are because I'm ready to let you know what it is. It is ingurgitate. That's I-N-G-U-R-G-I-T-A-T-E. Ingurgitate. What does it mean? Well, it's a verb and it is the opposite of regurgitate. So it means to swallow greedily or in great quantity or to engulf. So you could say... After three days in the desert, the explorer ingurgitated all of the water his rescuers gave him. You might not probably say it that way, but you would be correct if you did. (laughs) Ingurgitate. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. Okay, so remember how I said we have double the fun today? That's because we're going to meet the two creatives behind the new middle grade novel, Miss Mary Kate Martin's Guide to Monsters. The author is Karen Foxley, who, oh, she has been published in the USA, the United Kingdom, Canada, and of course, Australia. Her sweet spot is writing for middle grade. And the illustrator is free to choose. So I thought we'd talk about how they created this book together. First, I talk to Karen, but make sure you stay after the end of the interview for more fun facts about the world of writing. And thank you so much for joining us today, Karen. Oh, thank you for having me here. I'm so excited to talk to you about your gorgeous book. Oh, wow. So Miss Mary Kate Martin's Guide to Monsters, a bit of a mouthful, but <laughs> it is, an adorable it? title. For listeners who haven't got a copy of their own yet, what is it about? It is about a girl called Mary Kate, Mary Kate Martin, and she's a 
eight-year-old who has quite a few worries and anxieties. She lives with her mother, who's a quite well-known archaeologist, and she is about to go on a journey with her mother to visit uh, an English countryside village where there are some old bones that have been found in the well. And it's a strange kind of place because everything in that village is not quite as it seems. And there's a, a bit of a mystery happening. There's uh, strange noises, there's earth tremors, and there's rumours of a beast, a monster mm. that lives at the bottom of the well. And Mary-Kate, though she's got all these kind of anxieties and worries, finds out that she's actually quite good at solving monster mysteries. And what age group have you written this book for, do you think? I think it's younger than what I normally write, so probably about the 6 to 10-year-old. That's quite a big age range and a 6-year-old is quite different to a 10-year-old. How do you cater for 6 to 10-year-old? Yeah, it is a it is a big age group, and I I think that probably in that age group, it's more likely to be a story that's read right. to a child. I just I think all children in that age group would still love that sort of sense of adventure, mm. the sense of a child going off to solve a mystery on their own. Uh, it is a little bit spooky, so I guess a little a bit of a balancing act in not making it too scary for that Mm. sort of wide readership range. I also hope that it can be read by older children as well, Mm. so back into that middle grade market. Mm -mm. And what gave you the idea for this story? What made you want to write this story? I think I was just thinking about things that I loved as a child, so I absolutely adored anything sort of a bit mysterious, a bit magical, a bit different. You know, I was always sort of trying to solve, uh, you know, problems like the Bermuda Triangle or, you know, had all sorts of uh, books about poltergeists and (laughs) ghosts and, you know, I just I adored that kind of stuff. So I guess thinking a bit about that, I was thinking about monsters generally and then, as I started to write the character Mary-Kate, just really, you know, starting to channel my own inner child into mm. that character because I was definitely a young a young girl who had a lot of social anxiety and a lot of just lots of really unusual worries. So you touch on themes like anxiety in this book. Tell me why you wanted to write about that in this book. I think... Primarily as I developed the character Mary-Kate, I was really channeling my own inner child. So I was thinking a lot about the child that I was, you know, the kind of things that I worried about, about getting things right, you know, about quicksand, about all sorts of things like that as a child. And When I was young, there was definitely no conversation happening about that, whereas nowadays there really is starting to be a conversation. You know, we're we're really starting to be more open about our mental health. So I was just kind of excited to, to sort of put these things into a story, an exciting adventure story, 
but to, to, to look at the issues of anxiety and have them there for anyone that needs them today. Right. And so tell us about your writing routine. Like when you're in the depths of writing, do you start at a particular time? Do you have any daily rituals before you get into the story? Do you aim for a particular goal or word count? Tell us about your routine. Well, I think that I it changes for every book and depending on sort of life circumstances. So at the moment I'm back working so I have a day job. So I really, it's about finding blocks of time and committing on those days to getting up and, and starting. And at the moment, one of the things I do is I set a timer and I do 25-minute blocks. And I just, ah. I've, I've really found that my concentration level over the years has changed. So what works for me now are those blocks where I sit, I'm not allowed to get up, I write into those 25-minute spaces and I might write in a notebook at the beginning of the day, I'm going to do that eight times, eight 25-minute blocks. Wow. Yeah. In a row, what do you do in the, in the middle? <laughs> I get up and I clean the kitchen and put washing <laughs> on and pick children up from school and do all those sorts of things. But I wow, have so that it's not they're not necessarily consecutive, you know, with just right. a little loo break. You actually may go do other things, but you want to make sure you cover off those eight or however many blocks in a day. Exactly. Exactly. And I have a little tally. It's all very I can't I have to have the tally. I have to, you know, cross the number five across in the hash wow. form. And I yeah. love it. What is your day job? I'm a registered nurse. And when, how do you fit your writing in? Like when you're writing a book, do you take time off from that or do you fit in all your writing around a, uh, you know, a regular day job? In the beginning, I try and write on my days off and get as much as I can down. And then it gets to a stage where I know I'll need a block of time. So I arrange to have, you know, a month off, I've saved the money and I will just have four weeks where I will sort of try and get it all together, mm. which is always lovely. I love those, mm -hmm. those times where it's just me and, and words. It's really mm. exciting. Now, this book has these beautiful illustrations in it um, uh, and they're, they're by Frida Chu, who is a fantastic illustrator, how did that relationship work? Did you actually ever meet Frida or did you give any kind of briefing or did the publisher just say to Frida, here's the story, tell us, you know, you, think, you figure it out? Yeah, I, look, it's always amazing that you don't re, uh, meet the illustrator in mm. the beginning and they keep you really quite separate, which is good and, I, you know, I completely understand why. I think it's just... Why, why? Why do you think that is? So they just are not clouded by you. And I think that is the most amazing thing, the idea of your words being reinterpreted by an artist. And you don't... I, I always feel anyway that I don't want to mess with that. I really can't wait to see what they come up with. So... Obviously, I'd seen Frida Chu's work and I loved it, 
but just sort of waiting and waiting to see how she uh, imagined Mary-Kate and that world. And then when those first images come across, it's, you know, it's always really moving for me because that's someone taking your words and turning them into these incredible drawings. Mm-mm-mm. And um, did, did you, were you able to give feedback on it or um, did you just love it and that was the end of that? There were, there were some stages right at the beginning where there was a little bit of feedback and still now we're working on this, starting to work on the second book. So, you know, I definitely am showing illustrations and I can say, well, I'm not sure about this colour or that expression. But on the whole, I've been so happy because I yeah. think they just work together perfectly, the words and the art. And was it what you had in your mind? Not at all. Seemed- not at all. Really? Yeah. So, so is I that a shock? <laughs> it is all, it's always a shock, but it always, I've, whether I've just been incredibly lucky that every time I work with an illustrator, it just seems the perfect fit at the end. And I think in particular this story uh, lends mm. itself, the illustrations lend themselves so well to this story. When did you know you wanted to? What's no? You always was were interested in writing, but when did you? What was the trigger that made you think I'm actually going to write now? I was about twenty eight, and my father had passed away, so it was, I guess, one of those moments of you know taking stock and thinking because he died quite young in his fifties, and thinking what will I regret not having done Mm. if I pass away when I'm in my 50s? So the first thing that came to my mind was I never have finished a novel. (laughs) So, and I've always, I had always tried for years to write, to get a story down on the page and never been able to succeed. So I just sort of embarked on a journey to, to, to write, what became the anatomy of wings after Mm. that. So I was probably, yeah, I was 28 and I think it it was published when I was 34, 37, I think I was. Right. So you were persistent, which is great. I was. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Um, And what was the most rewarding thing about writing this book and the most challenging thing? The most rewarding thing, I think, was getting an entire mystery to come together Mm. for a (laughs) non-plotter, I think. (laughs) Just having it make sense and but at the same time um, getting it to have depth as well, Mm. which is really important to me. I think the first drafts were very one-dimensional and I think I wanted to write for a younger audience but I just had no idea how. So I think I went too far to too simple. So, ah. you know, being able to give it depth and to bring my own sort of, I guess, sparkle to the story. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've sort of gone into the more what was the most difficult, haven't I? I think just, I guess, you know, walking that fine line, um, learning something new, learning how to write for that younger audience Mm. and 
uh, not being too spooky. So, so what age group is more your comfort zone or, or what age group have you usually been writing for and what did you need to do in your brain to get into gear for a slightly younger age group? So my sweet spot is middle grade writing yeah. for the 8 to 12-year-olds. So I think I had to, I think what I thought in my head was I had to write simpler and easier. And when that was on the page, it came across as very one-dimensional and mm. it, were, it just didn't have my usual depth to it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So learning to try and you know, have a story that reads easily but still with that kind of um, layering and complexity. Yes, yes. And now that you've sampled writing for a younger age group, do you think you'll stay stay here or do you think you'll write across all ages? I think I'll just continue to go where the story takes me. So whatever, I know there's more for Mary-Kate, which is, incredibly exciting because I've yes, never had this is a just series. book one yeah, yeah. how fantastic so, I know so I've never had that I've never thought of writing a series but as soon as I found Mary Kate I knew that it wasn't going to be her only adventure so mm. that's very exciting but I also so on that though yeah. what did you have to do to when you were writing this book you knew in your head it's going to be a series what did, did you do differently in your writing or your planning or whatever than you would have in this standalone book? I think I've been a lot more uh, kind of organised in a way in keeping notes about the kind of things that are gonna be going to be repeated mm. in, in each story because there will be kind of things that are the same in each story you know, even keeping track of Mary-Kate's lucky things or, you know, those kind of things, as well as thinking into the distance of what might be a much bigger arc. Yes. Have you already thought of that arc? Well, as again, I'm a terrible plotter, but I have definitely got sort of ideas sort of in the distance Mm. (laughs) And and I'm jotting them down as I go. Oh, I have no doubt this is going to be very, very popular. I mean, it's just adorable. Um, what, uh, finally, if you had to give your top three writing tips to aspiring writers to who want to get their book published one day, what would they be? Never give up. Mm. That's the big one. I think writing is so much about persistence and I always think probably 95% persistence and 5% magic and <laughs> it's just turning up. And I think writing a lot of bad stuff to get to the good stuff mm. is really important. I think doing anything that can sort of develop your craft is always really important. You know, mm. it doesn't have to mean going to university, but, you know, are there courses you can enrol in? Yeah. Can, I'm not one that ever joined writers groups, but is there a writers group where you can get feedback? Mm-hmm. And I think also being willing to take that feedback is really important. And I think all my books have been amazing because of 
the feedback that I've got because of the work I've done with editors mm. to to improve them. Mm. Fantastic. So um, uh, never give up and develop your craft. And what's your third yeah. one? Uh, take feedback. Oh, and take feedback. Listen to okay. feedback. Yeah. yeah. All right. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Congratulations you. on Miss Mary Kate Martin's Guide to Monsters. Um, can't wait to get the next one already. Oh, <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, Karen. Thanks, Valerie. Now, Karen is one half of the duo who created this lovely book. The other half is the illustrator, Frida Chu, who is a graduate of the Australian Writer Centre. Frida is an illustrator, but after she completed our course in writing picture books, she also wrote and illustrated her own picture book, A Trip to the Hospital. But in Miss Mary Kate Martin's Guide to Monsters, she took Karen's manuscript and then created the illustrations for it. So I thought it'd be useful to chat to Frida about this process of collaboration with Karen. Thanks so much for joining us today, Frida. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Valerie. I'm so excited to talk to you. I have so many questions for you. Not only are you a fantastic illustrator of children's picture books, your recent illustration collaboration with Karen Foxley is this book, which is a middle grade novel, and it's Miss Mary Kate Martin's Guide to Monsters. (laughs) But you are also a picture book author yourself with your fantastic picture book, A Trip to the Hospital. So, you are multi-talented, clearly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's just start with some background first. You decided, like you studied at university to become an artist. What were the, what were the decisions there? And tell me what job you got after, after you left university. Yeah, so I've been drawing ever since I was a little kid. It was just something that came very naturally to me and I loved it. So when I graduated from high school, I decided to do visual communications at UTS because I thought being a graphic designer was like, you know, a, a very financially stable way of being a creative. But whenever I was in at university and I had assignments, I'd always go back to drawing and I'll try to inject illustration into it anytime I can. So after I graduated, I decided like, you know what, I'm going to try my hand at freelance illustration. and. That's what I did and uh, while working at a bookstore to try to build my profile and my portfolio. So what kind of gigs were you getting as a freelance illustrator and and, an artist then? What sort of typical jobs were you getting? Yeah, so before doing picture books or or children's books, I was doing just very varied things. So sometimes um, editorial illustrations. I also illustrated a lot of um, things for magazines and even drawings in retail in 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 retail retail context like the galleries of Victoria I mean I did this a, a very big you know, illustrated campaign for them for um Lunar it New was Year. incredible yes you fantastic you. illustrations that you did for Lunar New Year and they were just huge in galleries in in Sydney mm-hmm Thank you. Yeah, so I think it's illustration is just such a fun way of injecting brightness and joy, I guess, into public spaces. And so that's, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing I was doing at the time. (laughs) Fantastic. So how did you get into illustrating children's books? Oh, you know what? I had wanted to be a children's book illustrator for a very, very long time. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was actually my end goal. But when I first graduated from university, 
If you look back at some of my my earlier works, my portfolio, they were very dark and spooky. So so I always thought, you know, I I love that kind of dark and spooky stuff, but it wasn't so suitable for like children's books. So, um, you know, after, during my time when I was working at uh, at the bookstore, I was just surrounded by so many beautiful children's books and, and, and illustrations. And I started to understand like what is necessary, you know, in a children's book, whether it's like color or movement, character design. And, you know, through that self-analysis of my own portfolio, I decided to make some changes to that. And yeah, and I guess like doing some personal projects, especially like, you know, doing some character design work and for fun and putting it on my portfolio captured the attention of some of my dream publishers that I'm working so, with now. <laughs> that's so that's so exciting that that was your end goal. What was it that was so appealing about illustrating for children's books? I think well, it was many reasons. So firstly, just being surrounded by beautiful children's books, because I was a children's bookseller in the kids section, but also growing up, you know, I was a really shy and quiet kid and drawing for me was therapeutic and it just kind of allow, allowed me to escape into other worlds. And as well as this, I think I was a really big bookworm too. It was just a very impressionable stage of my life. And I think being able to make illustrations that also bring joy to children of today is mm. it's just a really big privilege. And yeah, it's, it's something I don't take for granted. Wow. So you have this dream of becoming a children's book illustrator. You realize you need to a, a tweak your portfolio a bit. So you go and do that. So good on you for doing that. What was your break then? What, how did you get, get into it? Oh, like from my first, your first job. Yeah. Oh, it was honestly just an email. <laughs> wow. Go on, tell yeah, us about yeah. it. it was, yeah. So, um, you know, in, in terms of my first children's picture book, which yes. was Trip to the Hospital, which was about a year and a half ago, I just got a random email from my publisher, Anna McFarlane from Alan Unwin, just asking, hey, like, have you ever, um, you know, considered illustrating for children's books? And I was like, oh my gosh, of course. And for me, it was just like, you know, so we had a chat and we we're just talking about like a potential book, you know, about hospitals. And for me, it was just that little foot in the door that I needed. That But I how did she know on. you? Oh, I actually don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I should ask. Oh, you know what? I think it's probably just through social media. Um, you know, I had been posting my work for a really long time. And I guess in the children's picture book and illustration sphere, like, you know, you the more, you know, if you've been doing something for a very long time, people will eventually get to know you. Yeah. I, I wow. Think That's great. Yeah. yeah. Good on Instagram, good on social media. So basically they approached you and said, have you thought of uh, illustrating for children's books? But then the result is this fantastic book, A Trip to the Hospital, which you not only illustrated, you authored, right? Yeah. And so why why A Trip to the Hospital? <laughs> yeah, so the idea was actually proposed to me by my publisher. And when I when I heard about it, I was immediately like, oh, wow, I would, I would actually love to illustrate this book because my late father was a, a mental health nurse. He was working in, in many hospitals. And as well as that, I have a lot of family and friends who are hospital workers and healthcare workers. So, um, you know, naturally just, just knowing how how hard they work to keep everyone safe, you know, I just thought, mm-hmm. oh, it would be a really great way of, yeah, like giving them thanks and and helping children understand that such scary places because of the people who work there and mm. um, passion for what they do. But so when she contacted you, was she saying, do you want to illustrate it or was she saying, do you want to illustrate and write it? Illustrate and write. 
That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was Did great. You, and were you in shock that I a was. cold email came like this? I was very shocked. And even to this day, I think, wow, the fact that she took the chance on me and because I hadn't, you know, up until that point, I'd always dreamed of writing and illustrating my own picture books, but I'd never, I don't have anything to show in terms of the writing aspect of it. So I think in many ways, the fact that A Trip to the Hospital was a narrative nonfiction and the, a lot of the writing was led by the research, it made it a little bit easier for myself, but it was just, you know, just that amazing experience of writing and illustrating the book gave me a lot more confidence in what I can achieve and yeah it makes me want to write more <laughs> oh, absolutely it is a gorgeous book and oh Thanks. so so fantastic that that was your debut so what ha- has happened after that so you do a trip to the hospital and now you've illustrated so many other books yeah. tell us what happened after that yeah, so I guess at the same time, at the same time as writing and illustrating a trip to the hospital, I also illustrated Fifi Box's Minty May Gray, The Strangely Good Day, which was a really fun and like silly, silly book. And then now I'm also illustrating Karen Foxley's Miss mm. uh, Mary Kate Martin's Guide to Monsters. And interestingly, Anna actually contacted me a year and a half ago about book that book. So at the same time as I was contacted about a trip to the hospital. So at the time I, you know, when I heard, when, when, when they proposed, oh, you know, we, we have this amazing new um, fantasy series that is about monsters and it's, mm. it's written by Karen Foxley. I just thought like, wow, this is just amazing because um, growing up, like I have loved you know, horror, fantasy, just a really, you know, it's a big part of um, my childhood growing up. Um, and then knowing that it was also by Karen Foxley, who's yes. writing just so beautiful, so yes. delicate, sensitive and balanced. I was like, I, I just knew it was going to be a great series. So I took it. <laughs> I was like, I have Jeez, to So that year, did you think, you know, <laughs> all your Christmases had come at once or something? What had you done that you, that, that enabled all these breakthroughs? Incredible Um, opportunities. So, yeah, I guess just, um, you know, constantly putting my work out there and Mm. and, and also making my own pretend projects. So, um, you know, I... Like, as I was saying earlier, you know, I, I um, because in my portfolio, I wanted, I, I started analyzing, you know, what is necessary in a children's picture book portfolio. And I realized I didn't have a lot of character work. So I actually... I, I went and thought, okay, uh, maybe I'll make a fake project. Like, a, you know, um, the opportunity hasn't come to me yet. So I took the idea of Roald Dahl's Matilda and I actually, I illustrated a few of the characters just for fun and, and just to explore character and, oh. and movement. Yeah, and that work was actually what got the attention of some of my publishers. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So I think just doing as an illustrator, if you're ever in that same position as I was making fake projects for yourself, like choosing a book that you really enjoy and want Mm. to know the kind of thing you want to illustrate for and and putting that on your portfolio is just, you know, it's invaluable. Yeah. What a great idea. So now you're part of this, which is a series, Miss Mary Kate Martin's Guide to Monsters. And this is book one. So yeah. uh, The Wrath of the Wollington Worm is book one. And your illustrations are in it and they're just gorgeous. Now awesome. take us through the process because Karen obviously writes the manuscript. Yeah. And then you you don't even meet yet. <laughs> you, yeah. And she sends, well, the, or the publisher sends you the manuscript. What is your next step in then determining 
what in the world well, where in the story am I doing the illustrations do they tell you or do you go oh I think it, there would it would be good to have an illustration there what kind of things you choose what scenes you choose to illustrate tell us about how you think about it and then how you think about what it's actually going to look like yeah, so a lot of that, I'll, maybe, I'll go from the beginning. Yes, please. Because <laughs> there's just like so many steps involved. Yes, um, yes. I'd um, love to hear the, all the steps. Yeah, yeah. So after I was contacted by my publisher, so Alan and Unwin, so they contacted me with this amazing manuscript and then I read through it and, you know, I, I um, to determine whether or not it's something that I want to, to illustrate. And often it's a misconception that, I think a lot of people think that it's the author who chooses the illustrator in in books, but in actual fact, in actual fact, it's usually the publisher, and you know they try to match up the illustrator's voice and style with the writer's voice and style. Um, at that phase, you know, after reading it, I was like, okay, is this a story that speaks to me, and is this something that I can visualize really clearly? And I guess you know, in, in the case of of Karen Foxley's book, yes, it was amazing. <laughs> and then you know, after I accepted the the, the job, that's kind of where like the the fun starts happening. Yeah. So after that, I'll get the initial briefing from my editor. So I worked with my amazing editor who I also worked with on our trip to the hospital, Nicola Santilli. And we got together and we're just like chatting about, about the book and, you know, what the author's intentions are. And then they will also send me a, an illustration brief. And in that illustration brief, it just outlines like, you know, what they're thinking about the cover and also um, potential places where the illustration will be. So I don't actually decide where the illustrations will be. It's usually the designer and the editor who've gotten together beforehand. And but are, is it identified by scene? Like this particular scene is what they want? Yeah, it is. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, it might be a little scene like that's a very important story point. Mm. And then um, after that, they might give a very small suggestion like um, Mary-Kate and the worm you know, in the tunnel or something, but like <laughs> helped me to pr- inject my personal voice as an illustrator mm. and, and enhance that. So, um, yeah, so I guess that's, you know, after, after the initial briefing, that's also when I do the research. So the research involves a few things. So it's understanding the tone, the mood and the character of the story. So that just means like, you know, reading the story over and over again. And if the story is very time and or place specific, as well, as the Ruffler Willington Worm was, I think it was set in England, then I'll also research visuals or, or you know, just research the place so that I can uh, understand the story as much as possible and um, make the reader feel like they're there. (laughs) Mm. So with those scenes that they suggest, do you then have to come up with um, multiple options or do you just come up with the option that you think is ideal? And do you have to do roughs first, as in rough sketches, before you flesh it out a bit? Um, And do they then get have to to get approved? What What are the steps from there? Yeah, yeah. So um, after that, yeah. So um, the yeah, after I, I've drawn the the illustrations, usually I'll I'll do the the rough line sketches first before moving on to the final art. And this phase, it's usually like many backs and back and forth. So I might do some rough line work, rough line illustrations for the editor, who then will look through it, and then after. They, you know, after it's been approved, they might send that off to to Karen to for for their approval. But it also this whole the whole line the refined line work stage is it's all sometimes it's a little bit up in the air. So it just depends on how much time we've got. So mm. in the case of Raffaella Willington Worm, because it was such a you know we we had um, a, a few months to do it. 
Mm. Um, I actually went straight from to do final art. So we, we did like one or two final arts just to show like, okay, this is going to be the look and the feel. Yeah. And then after Karen approved it, that was when I was able to like pump out more. In the Great. Story. Now, yeah. when you write, uh, when you illustrate children's picture books, which are generally in full colour, like A Trip to the Hospital, it's in full colour, you're mm-hmm. illustrating in full colour. But when you are illustrating for a book like this, you know, a regularly printed novel, um, it's grayscale or black and white, right? Mm -hmm. So are you creating your illustrations in colour or in some kind of inky black and white? Oh, Oh, um, no, no, it's all in in black and white. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, picture books at this, like, with with colour just creates a whole other level of complexity. Yes. Yeah, it, it is hard. Like I still struggle with that sometimes because, it, you know, it's so important for communicating mood. But um, luckily for for novels, you know, the fact that I only have to work in black and white, it's I just have to focus more on the medium that I use. Yeah. So, because, yeah, so we've, we've ruffled the Willington worm because, you know, Mary-Kate and is so soft and sensitive and the story just has these really kind of spooky undertones to it. Yes. I tried to, I chose a, a style and a medium that would match that. So I thought, okay, mm-hmm. this having a scratchy, inky line with, with pencil, you know, might be um, the best option. And, and that's kind of how I, I, I think of it. It's usually like based on the feelings I get from a story um and you know if I'm going even further like even down to character designs you know like designing a Mary Kate who's like this really you know very layered sensitive soul I often think of word associations when I'm designing a character so for Mary Kate it was a willow tree oh, wow. <laughs> yeah 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 even though she doesn't look like a willow tree but yeah. I, I think of like you know she the willow trees are so strong she's you know they also have very gentle gentle beautiful movements um but you know, it, and it, and yeah, they're just very strong. So that's, yes. and then I try to capture that in the line <clears throat> work, the medium, and um, yeah, and the. So let's take Mary Kate because, and and you know, she's and this question, I guess, is representative um, of all the other characters as well. But when you're developing a character and deciding what they're going to look like, you've yeah. mentioned that you have sort of like a, a thing like a willow tree. Um, but do you? I guess it's a lot of pressure, right? Because you, you're you're creating the look of these characters that are then going to stay in people's readers' minds forever, because yeah. that's who they're going to see in their mind's eye. Yeah. So when you're creating, let's take Mary Kate. Yep. Do you create various versions and then kind of pick one? I do, I do, oh. and Mary Kate. Yeah, yeah. So um, in the ideation phase, which is like probably the biggest part before you do final art, you know, often I'll just sit down and do mo- many, many sketches just to kind of feel what shape feels like Mary Kate, or you know, what mm. kind of mediums feel like her. And Mary Kate actually went through two main iterations. So the first one we were thinking of going for like a purely inky style, which was a little bit more stiff, um, but you know, we didn't think that it captured that sensitivity of Mary Kate. So that's why I went back to the drawing board and um, and just like you know, did more iterating before I came to the final Mary Kate that we have have there. And yeah. you just then know that's the one. You know, yeah, it's it's a lot of it's based on feeling, but also just on like basic character design principles. So, because I'm also a, uh, an animation teacher, so a lot of like the the things that I teach my students, I also think back to it. So, you know, in terms of silhouette, um, you know, in in terms of making a very impressionable, memorable character, 
silhouette is really important as well as their their shape because yes. shapes we we have a, a lot of emotion we, we relate a lot of like emotions to shapes like for example um like Winnie the Pooh um mm. is very rounded and very cute you know because you know when growing up I guess we we associate these round shapes with our our mothers and just things that are very safe whereas mm. like spiky shapes might be something that's a bit more dangerous so if I have these at the back of my mind like even though I you know when I'm saying oh it's based on feeling and it sounds so like like la di da <laughs> but it's <laughs> not it's like it's a combination of feeling and also these principles that are guiding me throughout the mm. All right. So then you, once the the look and the feel and the medium and all of that is determined, Mm -hmm. you go to uh, final art for all of the different scenes. And then you give that to the publisher who I assume has a bit of a chat and, you know, discusses it with the author. At what point, I'm very interested to know, did you finally meet Karen? Actually, that's a good question. You know what? It was probably just a few weeks before the book was officially published. Um, Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up until that point, it was all email interaction and, you know, getting feedback from her and being like, yay, she liked my work. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, it was only until a few months before a publication, like, we had a meeting with our our publicist, Yvette, who, you know, we're just having a little meeting, Mm -hmm. just talking on on Zoom. And, yeah, and, 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 you know, sometimes we'll we'll chat on Instagram, but. Yeah, Yeah, right. Wow. So with the final art, Mm -hmm. do you then get, what kind of level of feedback do you get on that? Are there many changes after that point? You know what? I think for this particular book, there was surprisingly not many changes. I feel like, you know, we we were just out, there's like such a very, a very great synergy within the whole team. Um, and I think we were just very clear on the vision. So luckily, um, you know, after I sent it off, it, it was all approved. I think the only thing that was um, not like approved straight away was the map that the very beginning oh, of, yeah. the, of, the, of the page, because that was a lot more important in terms of like getting, you know, really getting, getting it right. Mm. And yeah. So, but, you know, compare that to say doing a picture book yes. where um, there were, there's so many more changes involved um, in, in that process um, because, you know. After final art? Um, some, oh, actually, no, some, sometimes after final art, but not very, yeah, very rarely that, that cha- the changes phase usually happens like, you know, when you're doing all the refined line work. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's- and why, what's a, a typical reason why there might be a change? Is it because something hasn't gelled with the words or yeah, what's a typical reason? I'm just trying to think. Potent- sometimes it might be because a character, not not in this, this scenario, but I'm just no typical ones like maybe a, a character might not feel right like you know maybe they're right. um, you know I might have read the description a little bit uh interpreted the description a little bit off or the story point that I chose wasn't like um the best story point or, or the best way of um communicating it you know or maybe there's meant to be some text there and like illustrated text and I didn't right right you know do it clearly enough <laughs> sure sure like yeah character, I think yeah. Yes, yes, there yeah, that makes sense. So, um in terms of your own illustration and writing career, yeah. <laughs> because you do both, what mm. is your plan? What's what's your end goal now? Because you've reached your first end goal, what's the end goal now? 
Um, you know, I've always dreamed of writing and illustrating my own fiction picture book. So I think my next step is to do a fictional one. So purely just based on imagination and just having fun and, and really choosing something that speaks to me like from my childhood or just something that really, really, yes, yeah, speaks to me. So I'm... Um, How exciting. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for that to come out. Anyway, this is, I could actually chat to you for hours, Frida. It's such a fascinating look at the illustration side of the process. But congratulations on all of your books, the ones thank you've you, written and illustrated. And thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Valerie. It was, it was really fun. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our online course, Writing Chapter Books for six to nine-year-olds, provides you with the perfect introduction to writing the first books and series of books that children will read by themselves. You'll explore the types of quirky, adventurous or silly stories that appeal to kids of this age and how to combine the chapter format with illustrations to maximise your story's impact. By using chapter hooks, relatable characters and suitable story themes, you'll discover how to enthrall and delight young readers. With our online self-paced courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months unlimited access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentercomau slash chapter. That's writerscentercomau slash chapter. I hope you enjoyed getting an insight into how an author and illustrator work together. I always think it's magical when they end up creating something that just works so well together. Anyway, let's move on to some people may know that I am a collector of old typewriters and in my youth, the number of times I learned to type largely because my dad told me about the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. And the number of times I typed that as I tried to learn how to type quickly is I can't even count. Um, so you might have remember practicing it either on a typewriter or a computer or even just when you practiced cursive writing the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog well that is what is called a pangram p-a-n-gram pangram and that is a sentence which contains all 26 letters of the English alphabet there are actually many more so fun fact for you so you can win at trivia or something like that and wow your friends although some of them don't make much sense but here are some other good ones. Apart from the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, you have pack my box with five dozen liquor jugs. <laughs> I literally did that today. I went to Aldi and bought, bought five bottles of wine. Um, the five boxing wizards jump quickly. That's another one. The five boxing wizards jump quickly. So there you go. You can wow your friends with your knowledge of pangrams. We've now come to the end of this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You can connect with me on social media. Find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. But a lot of us in the listener community hang out in the listener community on Facebook. If you haven't joined that, please do. Just search for so You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Such a great community, very, very supportive, and it'll be great to see you in there. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. 
Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.